0: Sorry, podcast listeners, my girlfriend just kind of walked in the back and she was sneaking around.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. I'm Brent Philbin, and I'm here with Kareem Baruque. How's it How you going, today, Kareem? I'm oh, doing great.
0: Fantastic, man.
1: That's we're both some variation of Fantastic. And we're here to talk about Augur. We're talking about Augur in a 101 series episode. And these episodes can be listened to in any order. Any coin you'd like to research, just go on there, hit up our 101, possibly any updates about it, and learn along with us. So for today. Kareem is the closest thing we were able to find to an expert, and he is going to try and explain
0: this this world of prediction markets, something he's somewhat familiar with. Yeah, I wouldn't call myself an expert, I'll be honest with you, but we did do some research into the coin, so it's not like we're just making it up as we go. Yeah,
1: we're, we're definitely not experts. We are not pulling a lost and making this up as we go. There is a real, uh, a, a real research process that's gone on here. But before we get into our research process, let's talk about biases. Kareem, you do you have any biases on this point here before you went in? Well,
0: you know, I just wanted to give my perspectives. And one of the things I did this time is I actually wrote down my biases before I started the research, Ooh. as opposed to waiting until afterwards to to write them down. So what I wrote down here as I started the research is I didn't really know much about Augur. I've never owned the REP token. I never did preliminary research. My personal bias, of course, is I've always had an interest in things that involve like prediction markets. Obviously, we play poker. I really love politics. I've used prediction markets before. Predicted is the main one in which I've I've even bet on before. So I was interested and on the, surf- on the surface, it was an interesting coin for me. However, I do think I was maybe a little bit skeptical about how effective it would be. Or about how useful it'll end up being, but overall, I was interested, and that's more or less my bias going in.
1: Cool. How did it go for you when you were doing things
0: on Predictit before? Did you like do well, or I did not. I've I've well, I've taken three bets on it, I think, or two, and I lost two of them. So I'm either six, I'm either thirty three percent or zero percent, which I believe are both failing grades.
1: For the listeners, one of these bets was also with me, and didn't work out so well for me either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my biases were actually normally only one of the people in the show knows a whole lot about a coin i happen to have researched auger way back in the day because this is really like one of the original icos if not the original ICO, and it's it's betting so i was like oh this is cool i want to like get in on this in smart contracts i went ahead and used auger they were in beta it was completely unusable so my bias was negative Overall, because I tried to actually physically use this, and it couldn't even be like what they released as a beta should have only been an alpha. I was really having a hard time doing anything with it. So um, that that was my bias again. Nothing, nothing really much about the coin, the team, or anything like that. Just a quick user experience. So that's it. So let's get into what Augur's vision is. So Kareem, tell us about it.
0: Yeah. Augur is trying to be a trustless, decentralized platform for prediction markets, right? That's why it's important to remember that Augur, and this is one of the things that I did like, it's not necessarily the prediction markets themselves. They're not like, um, it's not a platform which is hosting all of these things, but it's more of a protocol that anybody can download. It's kind of like how you could just download Bitcoin and you immediately have the opportunity to start creating markets, to start participating in it. So again... It's just trying to create a decentralized, trustless prediction market. So what is a prediction market for those of you who are less familiar with that concept? That is a place where individuals can wager on the outcome of future events. So, for example, sporting events or political elections. It can also be just, oh, is there going to be an earthquake in California? It could be anything. Those who make the correct prediction make money. Obviously, those who are making the incorrect prediction lose money, and the idea behind the prediction market is since people really value money, then it creates a really good incentive for people to give their real and honest prediction. If you just ask people, hey, do you think this person is going to win an election? They might just go from their own personal bias, but once you actually say, hey, are you willing to put money on this, you're going to get a much more real response because people you know, don't want to lose money. And the idea, this is taking a little bit of that wisdom of the masses approach is when you're giving everybody the incentive of money, you could see, like, let's say 80% of people are betting on, yes, this is going to happen. Then it becomes very likely that it is going to happen from the perspective of wisdom of the masses. Like a lot of people think this is going to happen.
1: When you say wisdom of the masses, you're referring to something we've mentioned before, which is that like a swarm or a giant crowd of people Tend to have a very good track record at at predicting the right outcome, but individuals are very very bad at it. Only as groups, right? So
0: yeah, and the example the example that's given on this, or even if you, for example, send the game where let's say there's a big jar of jelly beans, and they're like, oh, whoever gets the closest to how many jelly beans there are wins a car or whatever. Well, they've done kind of they've done studies where any one answer is pretty random and it could be off by a hundred in either direction. But if you take the average of a bunch of guesses, like if three hundred people guess and you take the average, that average actually ends up being remarkably close to the truer numbers.
1: Yep. So that's kind of what something like Augur is trying to accomplish, something like swarm, something like the predicted markets. I mean, the during the US election The prediction markets were having Donald Trump at a significantly higher percentage than anyone really believed was possible, including some really big, what would you call 538? I I don't know, like data analysts? They're just
0: analysts. Yeah, they're just analysts.
1: They kind of like threw out data points because they didn't think that Donald Trump was a real thing. And they ended up having to come out and apologize for it. And it turns out those prediction markets were a lot closer to the truth. So... Very, very interesting prediction markets behind, or a pre- very interesting uh, theory behind prediction markets. So it's cool to see something like this in a trustless way. But how's it going to be trustless? We need to learn about that eventually. But let's start with history. Check back in 45 minutes if you're not interested in the history.
0: Uh, no, actually, the history here is going to be pretty short. I mean, um, Augur is obviously one of the older icos they've been around for a while if you've been in the space it's a it's a name you've heard uh the paper the white paper was written by jack peterson and uh, joseph kirk the co-founder there's really not much to get into in the history here i think some of the relevant history to understand is there's definitely been a lot of situations where prediction markets have been shut down uh And this is one of the incentives for creating a decentralized prediction market, something that nobody can shut down. And this is where we really start seeing that vision of Bitcoin being taken to other places, right? Like the cool thing about Bitcoin is that nobody could shut it down. Well, Augur is going for something pretty similar because we've seen examples in the past of successful prediction markets getting... Uh, you know, destroyed because. Um, so there was an example of a company called Intrade, which is an Irish company, and they got shut down because of the US Commodity and Futures Trading Commission's actions. You know, they didn't like what was going on. That's more or less the incentive for a decentralized mar- market. And then as far as the rest of the history, they just launched. I think that's an important date. On July 9th, they had their official mainnet launch. On July 18th, they tweeted out that the first markets were fully resolved. And I'm going to get into more detail about the different steps of a market, but by fully resolved, I mean the market had already been created, predictions were made, then the prediction either came true or didn't come true, and then the right people were awarded the money. So an entire life cycle of a prediction has already taken place in Augur, which is of course uh, an important benchmark because it's like the first proof of concept.
1: That's super cool. So one of the things that we've talked about before is that there is a real lack of working decentralized application of dApps. And I feel like today we might be exploring one that actually works. Despite my poor user experience going in, I don't know if that's still the case, but it sounds like even if it is, we might be able to get something done.
0: That's a good um, intuition there, Brent. It is going to be one of my positives about the project, just the fact that we have something that actually works and creates a utility that is unique. And like you said, the user experience may or may not be an issue, but the underlying question of does this actually work and does it create a new utility that didn't exist before, the answer is yes, and I do like that.
1: Okay, cool. So let's find out how it is accomplished. Tell us about the features And structure.
0: All right. So in the white paper, they explain that Augur is built as an extension of the Bitcoin source code. And they're using a lot of similar concepts, which, of course, they're going to add some variations. But the underlying principles of Augur, even though it's built on Ethereum, is using the um, division of Bitcoin for a consensus, for decentralization um, and that kind of thing. Augur itself is written in Solidity, though. It's really a collection of Solidity smart contracts. Solidity, for those of you that don't remember, is the programming language currently used on Ethereum. Okay. Now, uh, Augur has three types of possible tokens or units, but you are still only using one cryptographic key. Augur should be able to use sidechains so that you can bet and Bitcoin. Now that's according to the white paper, but from what I was able to see post launch, I think everything right now is happening on Ethereum. So I'm not 100% sure if the goal for Bitcoin is to eventually incorporate that or that was simply something that was left in the white paper. But maybe I couldn't find like the announcement where they're like, oh, we're going to focus on Ethereum now. But anyway, so you can bet on Bitcoin or on Ethereum. I've only really seen Ethereum betting so far. But then the third token is the native token of the Augur uh, protocol, which is REP, as in reputation. Rep. All right. Now that one's going to be used a little bit differently, and it's used for something else. It's not just used for the betting, um, the actual betting on the event. So we'll go. We'll get into that in a little bit. But what's important to know about reputation is that the total amount of reputation in circulation is a fixed number. It's not constantly being minted and holding reputation tokens allows you to participate in the reporting of outcomes so as we were talking before this is a series of prediction markets some of them which are for example binary uh, you know will hillary clinton win the election well the answer was no But in order to participate in the reporting process where you get to say, no, she did not win the election, you need reputation tokens. And you're essentially staking those because people are going to be punished for putting the incorrect answer. So let's say that at the end of the election, a bunch of people have bet between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now we have the opportunity to report. If I say... Hillary Clinton did win the election and 80% of the reporters, 90% of the reporters are saying she didn't, then I'm going to lose all of those reputational tokens. The other important thing to know is that even um, reputation is modeled after Bitcoin. It's divisible into eight spots, but it's not really um, intended to be a stable source of value. Again, it's more focused on the reputation within the system for reporting. Uh, You can gain or lose Reputation based on the reliability of your votes, making sure that you're voting with the consensus, which you should always do because you're voting on events that have already happened. Um, Owners must cast a vote. So this is important. Uh, I don't don't really think reputation should be considered. Even though you have the opportunity to make money by staking reputation, reputation, it's not really the passive income style that we see, for example, in a project like NEO. Because you have to report. And choosing not to report when the network is, you know, let's say checking in with realities, what they call it in the white paper. Every once in a while, it's checking in to get those reports. If you're not participating, you are basically getting a penalization. So you're incentivized to participate in votes if you have reputational tokens. Wow. Okay, so hold on. I remember this being one of
1: my favorite parts of the project, which is they achieve true decentralization because there's no sports book or there's no person one person that's saying yeah this is this is a win this is a loss there there's probably going to be some interesting spots down the line where it's not as clear uh, whether it's a win or a loss which i'm interested to see how that plays out in an easy world where a hundred percent of people should just vote yes this happened some people will troll and some people will just be like nah nah hillary won not my president or something like that, you know what I mean? So the, it's important that there's a negative incentive for that. But it's also interesting that if you like forget to report by staking, you could actually lose money by staking these tokens. I wonder how clear that's made and if people might stake just because they're used to, oh, okay, this is a proof of stake. Cool, let me do this. And they
0: might lose money not realizing it. I wonder if that... I mean, that's, that's an interesting question and it's tough for me to answer how like... Clear they made it. I mean, if you if you read the white paper, they make it pretty clear. But to answer your question, I don't know if everybody that's interested in staking rep went through the trouble of researching the project, of course. But yeah, the incentive here is you want people to be engaged in the voting, in part for the reason that you said, Brent, there will be trolls. There will be people who lie about the outcome. They could have a vested interest. Maybe they're lying about the outcome because they bet against it. But that's why it really is dependent on consensus. And just since you even said, hey, there's sometimes it's not going to be as clear. I believe I talk about this a little bit further ahead, but there is an incentive. Like it's even incentivized to not answer a question as yes or no if it's nonsensical or indeterminate, and that's actually the oh. network. Instead of pushing somebody, instead of punishing somebody for correct um, responding incorrectly, you can punish somebody for wording the question in such a way that it's impossible to know. So, for example, the example that's used in the white paper is. Does Hillary Clinton suck? Which, of course, the answer is yes, but that's not (laughs) a But no, all kidding around aside, it's an indeterminate answer. It's not, did she win the election, right? Does this person suck or is this person the worst? Well, whoever created the event could have created that as a binary option. But the people reporting on the event can look at that question and say, that's not a serious question that we can report on. And if enough people are essentially labeling that an indeterminate answer, then it's basically exposing it. It's like a reporting system, if that makes sense. Right. So it does account for ambiguity. So uh, I wasn't thinking of a, of a subjective answer like that,
1: but I was thinking maybe like a sporting event gets canceled that was part of the bet. Like, do do the Patriots win the game on Saturday? Lightning cancels it, and they're going to play it on week seventeen or something like that. But the outcome needs to be reported on. For, you know, week 13, right. you know, they would end up with a spot where there was no winner. So what do they do? There is a did do not report option. And if everybody reports that option, you're fine, basically, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Now, what are the underlying mechanisms there? And, and I do know that, for example, for some events, and I like this because um, I think it makes it efficient. I believe the way they structured it is there is such a thing as a review process that an open market can go into if the results are disputed, which maybe a lot of uh, consensus results won't be disputed, but in some cases where it is disputed, it goes for like a more in-depth, bigger consensus, or there's some kind of review process there for that protocol in case something is. There's extra steps essentially, okay, for indeterminate outcomes. Cool. In the white paper, they also talk about the essentially the creation of a stable coin, which they kind of are like, oh, this could work, and then they kind of gloss over it, and I haven't seen it mentioned in any of the recent release and publications, which I think is probably a good idea overall. They should just focus on using Ethereum. Um, So let's go through the actual step-by-step process. So the first thing is we have a prediction market creation. Right off the bat, all of these markets don't exist, and this is one of the things that makes it decentralized and makes it very interesting. If you want to create a market and that market hasn't been created, anybody can download the Augur protocol and submit a market creation tool. Now there is a fee for submitting a market, which is probably good. You know, you need to be able to put some money into the network so that people are incentivized to not just fill, fill it with shitty markets that nobody cares about. Um, hmm. And it's basically, you can even create, I'm, I'm assuming, like a bunch of dummy transactions that are just clogging up the network. So there is a fee for creating a market. But let's do a hypothetical example. Brent, who's super into politics, wants to do a market for the 2018 elections. Now, you go to Augur and you select the categories because most of these markets are going to be in categories. You go to politics. And then that's going to bring up all of the active political prediction markets and what their current prices are in this specific case though brent realizes that there isn't a 2018 election cycle market so brent can go in create an event and then he's going to be asked to type in a bunch of information it's going to be a description of the event then you're going to select a type so it could be a binary result yes or no it could also be scalar right how many points are the patriots going to score maybe that's just a a number um, you can change the uh number of valid answers. Um that you're selecting the topic, whether it's politics, science, sports, Hollywood, you're gonna have to pay a fee, as I mentioned before. That fee that you're submitting to the network to create the event is going to go towards the users that are reporting on the event. So it's not like some entity that auger controls. That the Augur development team is taking a fee, which, as a side note, is something that I do like. This is this is a product that I do consider to be decentralized, and even though there is an Augur Foundation, which I'll discuss a little bit later, they're not like overseeing this or taking rake or you know manipulating it or hosting. They really kind of put themselves aside from the project. Cool. So you pay the fee in rep rep tokens, then correct? I believe that the fee is actually being paid in Ethereum oh, at okay. the moment. There's also going to be a maturation period for the market. So let's say, for example, that Brent's creating the 2018 election market. So the maturation would be as soon as the elections are over, right? And then in a, an address, like a wallet address, Brent pays the transaction fee, creates the event. Then you get into the actual forecasting. By the way, when Brent finishes creating that, now that he's paid that fee, it's uh, broadcasted to the network like a regular transaction. The miners pick up on it. It goes into the next block. Once it's actually in a block, everyone can see it, right? We just have to think of these as regular transactions, but they're smart contracts, so they're complicated transactions. So once your market is out there in the open, people can actually start betting on it, putting money on it to say which way they think it's going to go. And they do this by either buying or selling shares in the market. Maybe they're buying shares in the yes answer or they're buying shares in the, no, this is not going to happen. According to the white paper, the basically the main problem with prediction markets is liquidity, meaning that you need a certain amount of money in there uh, in order to actually start getting the predictions flowing, and you always need to match a buyer with a seller. So in order to get around this concept of having a buyer and a seller, They have an automatic logarithmic market system. They call it the Logarithmic Market Scoring Rule, L-S-M-R. It's really complicated. There's a ton of math as to how they make it work. Let's say big picture summary of it is that the L-S-M-R functions as the market maker for the entire market. So all of the buying and selling of orders is routed through the L-S-M-R as opposed to just trying to match individuals peer-to-peer and then they use all this math to, based on whether you buy something or sell something, adjust the price automatically. I'll be honest with you, this is the most difficult part. It's the math that we don't understand and where we have to stop and say, hey, listen, I don't know the cryptography behind this. I don't understand the algorithm, but they do put it out there in such a way that it should be able to be audited by the community. And I didn't stumble upon anything that said this algorithm doesn't work or it's imbalanced. But essentially, it allows you to directly go and buy. So if somebody creates a market, I can go and buy sh- shares in it on either side without necessarily a bunch of people having already done so, if that makes sense, because it's all going through this LSMR center.
1: Interesting. Normally on prediction markets, somebody has to take the other side. So they're finding a way to algorithmically have a market maker somewhere.
0: Interesting. Correct. It is interesting. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays off. Obviously, it does allow you to interact with it more quickly it does solve the liquidity problem to an extent from a
1: advantage gambler perspective i would be interested to see if that algorithm could be taken advantage of in any way
0: right if it has exploits yeah i'm sure it does but it'll be interesting
1: yeah if you're only betting against a as we've discovered in many spots people talk about poker bots and stuff like that playing poker online what we discovered is early on when we were playing against poker bots it was great because we would just figure it out and know exactly what to do to take their money. They've gotten more sophisticated. But uh, anyway, it would be interesting to know if uh, if this is a spot where we could find, find leaks.
0: You know what I would say, Brent, is the uh, maybe like a, a saving grace here is Because I think it's a very good analogy, right? We would find these poker bots that had some kind of ingrained logic into it. And sure enough, there's spots, because it's such a complex game, where it wasn't taking the right decision process into account or just something really exploitable now the only thing i'll say here though is that even though the algorithm is adjusting the price of the shares automatically based on our action you're not really betting against the algorithm because it's not like the algorithm is readjusting the price in the other direction based on your decision it's more like let's say that the the yes share is x amount and you buy the yes share Well, then it's going to automatically adjust both prices and it won't move again until either somebody buys the yes or somebody buys the no. So it's still humans moving the strings, if that makes sense. Like it's still a human making the decision of, oh, look at this price. I'm going to buy the opposing side of that deal. So you're still going to be playing against humans, even though the algorithm is in the middle. Hmm. We get to that point. We get to the forecasting. We're actually betting on it. A bunch of people, you know, let's say, is this person going to win the congressional election in District 34? A bunch of people buy yes. Some people buy no. Then we get to the actual reporting phase. In my opinion, this is where the rubber meets the road. Once the event takes place, is how are you going to distribute those funds? How are we going to make sure that the report that it's reported properly? Like you said, Brent, there's going to be some cases where. You know, what happens if the game got canceled Then we're already in the maturation period? That's where a lot of this stuff is going to determine whether or not Augur is going to work in the long run. But how does the reporting work? Well, um, once the event takes place, since we created a maturation threshold on the auger blockchain it basically allows for the reporting transactions to begin and one of the things that i'll say as a side note is that even though you can put the maturation in real time like for example when you're creating a market you could say all right well this on you know january 31st 2019 at midnight that's when this matures but from Augur's perspective it is always going to be based on a block so Augur counts time based on block intervals, block height. So truly the maturation period will be block 1.2 million, if that makes sense. Right. So you can actually select a block to be very precise, or you can get a date, you could put in a date and it'll give you the estimated block. So it's less precise, but more intuitive. Once the reporting transactions start coming in, this is what they consist of. Number one is the outcome. And these These are uh, encrypted reports. So if I'm reporting on it and I'm writing, you know, uh, yes, Donald Trump won the election, I'm sending it back in. But that is going to be encrypted so that other people can't see it to prevent collusion. Right. Mm -hmm. So people who are reporting on it can't see what's the current reporting rate or anything like that. That's all going to be looked at at once. I also have to put in my rep. Right. Whoever sending that reporting transaction is including reputational tokens on there. And the more rep you have, the more that your answer is weighted, even though you're casting a single ballot. Oh, So okay. that part is important. It's not that I'm casting one ballot per rep.
1: It's the plutocratic system that we've seen. <laughs> that's a little bit concerning because if somebody gets a controlling stake in rep, they can just start reporting on these outcomes however they want, right? Or is there a measure in place?
0: Well, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying is how much rep you have determines how much you're your answer is weighted but it's still one ballot and don't forget that you're getting you're losing rep by reporting against the consensus so could you know could there be a scenario where somebody could accumulate so much reputation that they control in a way yeah but it also ha- seems like it would have to be an extremely long con because they're amassing that reputation and keeping a high reputation by accurately reporting on every on everything for a long period of time you know what i'm saying they can't just
1: like buy all the rep tokens
0: well, that, I mean, I, I guess I don't know, but that's similar to a 51% attack from a stake perspective, right. where the more you buy, the more expensive it gets. And then once it comes out that Augur's prediction market is being manipulated by somebody who has all the rep and you can't trust it anymore, I'm assuming that that would cost a significant drop in the price of rep. That person would suffer. Okay, It's a complicated question, but it does say that if I go and buy three rep tokens and I report on something, I'm not going to have the same weight as somebody who has tens of thousands of reputational tokens and has been reporting for a long period of time and is saying, yes, it happened. And at a core level, that does seem to make sense to me. Okay, cool. Um, and like I was telling you, you could have an invalid report. That's where, you know, maybe a question is poorly worded or something. And somebody says, listen, this is just invalid. I can't say yes or no, because the way this was worded. Um, and then after the reporting is done, And completed and the system reaches a consensus, that's when you have a redemption transaction where everybody who has outstanding shares in the correct prediction. If I bought shares in the yes prediction and the reporting says yes, then there's a redemption transaction that gets broadcasted out to the network and the payouts appear automatically in the recipient accounts. And that's more or less the the life cycle of the prediction market.
1: So that's... That is all super cool. So this is doing what – this is what cryptocurrency is about really, I think, and at least the DApp section. This is actually taking something that is completely centralized. You require – you have to rely on a sports book to tell you what the answer is or rely on predict it to tell you what the outcome is and put it completely out of their hands Now, I don't know about it not being able to be shut down via jurisdictions. There's probably still a way to do that as far as, like, blocking the domain or something like that. But still super cool that
0: it – maybe they can't.
1: Maybe they can't even do that.
0: Yeah. From what I was able to find, Brent, honestly, this is not that different from Bitcoin. Yeah. You just download the client from GitHub. I mean, sure. Could you be somewhere where they don't even let you get to the GitHub? I mean, okay. Right. Understood, you know. But it's more or less – Pretty hard, pretty close to impossible to stop. That yeah, as far as it can go anywhere.
1: So that's super cool. I you know you know that decentralization is always my main, uh, my main talking point whenever I talk about these in, when I'm in your shoes. So I I see a and lot but, of good decentralization aspects to this.
0: One of the things that I would one of the points I'd like to make because you said hey listen this is what DApps are all about is about being able to. Get some of these things that are centralized to make them decentralized. And the reason I think that's a really good frame framing for this is because there might be some people listening to this. You and I are gamblers, but not everybody's a gambler. And I'm sure that there are tons of people listening to this that have never used a prediction market, are not interested in prediction markets. So this this might seem like one of those things that's like, oh, okay, it's another unnecessary uh, blockchain DAP that I would never use. But here's the, the thing. Prediction markets are already a thing. Just because you don't use them or you're not interested in them, that's fine. But prediction markets are 100% a thing. People use them. People bet on them. There's activity on them. The only thing is so far, the only ones that are really quote unquote efficient and liquid are centralized. So this is taking something that has economic activity and is already a part of our society and giving it a decentralized angle. Which is really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's that's super cool. That's what we want from a lot of these. When we do a lot of these reviews, or we talk about a lot of these ICOs, we're like, yeah, right. They get to put this on the blockchain, but then like you find out, it's still a centralized company. They just have a token now. So right, it's, exactly. Yeah, it is pretty cool to 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 see the full and complete um, movement here. I'm following along in our outline. I want to prompt you, but we're on a miscellaneous section, so
0: I'm not really sure. No, no, just a couple of extra things I wanted to mention. You know, we are in the features and structure. So before we move on to pros and cons, I more or less explains how the project works. There's two things that I wanted to mention. One was the um, the Forecast Foundation. That's their, that's Augur's foundation. And from what I was able to find, I feel like more so than like the Neo Foundation, they are more like the city of Zion. Because the Neo Foundation still has a lot of control, or the IOTA Foundation still has a lot of control over the project, and it really seems like the Forecast Foundation is very limited in what they can do for Augur. They don't, they don't host anything. They don't have any major nodes. They don't. there's no like power. They don't get your addresses or anything. They're, they are creating the code, but the code is like Bitcoin. You download it, you you run it. It's In your system, and they can't block you from opening a market, they can't shut markets down, they can't reverse transactions, they can't do refunds, none of that stuff. Since we're talking about something that's decentralized, that's the way it should be. That's the right way to structure. I felt in this particular project, I think that statistics are relevant. So they launched on July 9th, right? We are recording this. Now, this is going to release on Wednesday, but we are recording this on the 23rd, which is Monday. I wrote down some statistics as of last night, that's the 22nd, so this gives you more or less an idea of how the project is coming along, let's say two weeks into its inception. There are 598 open markets, which I do think is a relevant stack. Open markets means open prediction markets. So for example, will Donald Trump get reelected? That is a prediction market. And remember that since these markets aren't free to create, there is more or less an incentive to not just spam the network. The total money at stake has grown to $1.4 million right now. Mm. Again, considering the project is pretty young, I don't think that's that bad. Um, and the largest market that we have open currently has $670,000 to it. So it's disproportionate part of the network. And the the question is, will Ethereum be over $500 by the end of 2018? That is currently the largest market on- At the end. On Augur. At the end of 2018, correct. So at the end of 2018, will Ethereum be over $500? And 70% of the market participants are have said yes. Wow. Yes, it is. Yes, it's going to be, right? We talked about something so you-
1: similar on one of the flagships. That's, that's a- I don't know if you remember that. I thought it was pretty cool that most people think that it'll be higher. That might be a little bit skewed because the people who are using Augur are obviously going to be bullish on crypto.
0: And they're going to be bullish on Ethereum, the platform on which they are currently built, right? Which is not surprisingly the second uh, most popular prediction market involves the price of Augur. So it just shows you we're just in those early stages where, yeah, most people who are using this have been followers of Augur, followers of Ethereum. So it is a skewed market, but the idea is that as this becomes more and more prevalent, more people come in and it becomes more and more liquid, we'll have more varied markets. So anyway, that was just some random statistics to give people an idea of what kind of stuff is actually on the platform right now. All right, cool.
1: So I feel like we've got a pretty good grasp of What Augur is doing, what they're trying to accomplish, and what they're what they're doing right now. But let's sum it all up. Give a little quick pros and cons summary of the REP token and the Augur project. All right, how do you want me to do this? I would like you to
0: give me the pros and cons. In any order. All right. right, So I guess I'll start with some cons, just to finish off on a positive note. Um. You know, number one, I think that creating a market can be a little bit expensive. Right now, it costs about $30. Uh, I do think that you need to make it a non-zero dollar amount. And the bigger the markets, the more trivial the $30 seems. But, you know, it's still a a $30 expense that, you know, maybe a lot of people are going to do. Um, I do believe... I think your next question is, Does is there any benefit to creating a market? I think, even though I couldn't get the exact numbers or how it works, but I think if you create a market that has a lot of activity, you will make money on it.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. We didn't go I over that. Uh, no. Is the 0.07 Ethereum set or is that an average of some kind?
0: That's what I could find is the current transaction, which is about $30, but I don't know if that's if the, i believe that's a set fee like a set market creation fee
1: but obviously it would have to change two years that might be $150 to make a market
0: right i actually made a note here in the white pa- in the when i was reading the white paper they put the fee in bitcoin and i remember that i guess it, obviously it's outdated a little bit but the the price that they put in bitcoin was like oh 0.01 bitcoin and i'm like all right well now that's $60 <laughs> at the time of the writing of the white paper it might have been very 15, little 15 i don't know Right.
1: I mean Augur ICO'd in like January of 2017, I think, right? Like they, they they've been around
0: for a while. Yeah. It's also been a rough start from the user end perspective. Um, I do think that this is a product of it being truly decentralized and you're downloading your own client and you're basically running a node. So um it's still not there from a user experience perspective and i could find on reddit and on twitter a lot of people basically kind of complaining like oh this is pretty hard to use or i wasn't able to get i wasn't able to buy shares and what i wanted to buy so it looks like the the user experience is still a little rough but that seems like the kind of thing that can get better over time the other con i would say is that even though there are over 500 markets that have been created uh, less than a hundred of them actually have money riding on them. So there were markets that were created, but that doesn't mean anybody's been interested in taking action. And then I have one more con, but it's one of those double-edged sword that I'll get to in a little bit. I'm going to move on to the pros. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The pros. It is decentralized. It, it does appear to be genuinely decentralized. Now there's some consternation that there are points of centralization like for example when you try to connect to a node or a host i want to say there is a default uh you know that problem that we have where you people end up all defaulting to the same node i want to say it's in nano um, a similar problem like that where there might be some default centralization to a server kind of thing but in general just the the foundation's not in control the development team's not in control It does have points of centralization like Bitcoin does, but it's also basically decentralized. Right. Okay.
1: So, interestingly enough, after we did this episode, we realized we missed a piece. So, I'm adding this in. This is going to seem a little out of place. But Augur actually built in a kill switch to their program. So, there was a way for the Augur, uh, for the foundation behind Augur to refund. Everyone their bets and cancel it all. If something crazy happened, they could throw in a nuclear button and end everything. And that was the final piece of the centralization that remained. They pulled the kill switch on, I believe, Tuesday. The kill switch was pulled by Augur. The Augur code can no longer be stopped. It's out there. And as long as people... Are willing to use it. There will be bets. Nothing can stop it. No law enforcement. No bodies. It is truly a decentralized application. Kudos to Augur or to the foundation. I can't remember what it was called. It was something with to do with the betting. But anyway, kudos to the foundation behind Augur for actually doing what they said, repealing that kill switch, and getting rid of the last little bastion of centralization on this project. Well done.
0: It's open source. That's a positive. Foundation's power is limited. That goes hand in hand with decentralization. You can download and participate using any wallet. You can create an Ethereum wallet through any medium, whether it's your ledger. What's the really popular web-based one? MetaMask. Metamask I want to say so you can use anything. And then connect to the Augur network. I like that a lot more than having to, let's say, connect to the Augur servers and create an Augur account mm-hmm. and then create an Augur wallet. And that means that all of this information is stored somewhere. That's not the case here. Anybody can come in from anywhere. There's a lot of potential for just anonymity. I went through their GitHub and they do have decent hacker bounties. For example, they're giving away a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars for even small errors. They go up to like five k for anything that's considered like a medium-sized error. And if it's anything that's critical to the structure of Augur, they have a two hundred thousand dollars bounty on it. Um, well,
1: let's compare you know. that to our friend EOS that gives ten thousand. I remember you guys kind of gave me some shit for saying that ten thousand wasn't enough. Well, this tiny ass ICO is giving a 200,000 for critical bugs. That's crazy comparison.
0: But Brent, the argument I made at the time and the argument that I'll maintain today is that we didn't know how big the bugs were. There's no evidence that those were critical bugs. And here they say that for a medium bug, they're giving you 5K. So if they were equivalent bugs, Augur was paying half as much as EOS. Trust me, I don't like EOS. I don't like EOS at all we had no context of how critical the bugs that they were bountying out were how much so.
1: how much did augur one second i'm going to see how much they raised for their ico to put this in perspective
0: it, that's one of the reasons i don't like Geo's because they just their ico fundraising numbers are ridiculous but i'm just saying you can't just say oh a bounty is $10,000 because it's relevant whether it's a bounty for a flaw that was exposing user risks or for something that occasionally made you have to refresh your you know what I'm saying? Like some errors are minor errors.
1: ICO Bench reports that Augur raised five million in funds. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like they're giving away five grand for the kind of bugs that EOS is probably giving away ten grand for. It. I don't know.
0: Hold on a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google how many pounds of spaghetti there's in Italy since we're googling random stuff that has nothing to do with it. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it does so the percentage so of spaghetti. the company's holdings versus.
0: But then again, they may have held all the Ethereum and it may be worth a lot more now. Uh, I don't know. There we go. All right, I think we're back to a normal conversation. It does seem to be growing pretty quickly. Uh, like I said on 7 11, the money that was on stake is two days after launch. The money at stake was only under $50,000. By the 16th, it was already over $300,000. And as I mentioned last night when I checked, it was over $1.4 million. So it is growing quickly. That's good to see. Um, there are a lot of different markets. Um, And since anybody can create a market, this is one of the things that I think is very interesting. You're going to have the creation of markets that we wouldn't have thought of because different people have different incentives. So here are two interesting ones. There's a company called Liquidity Health, and they created a market for the spread of a specific virus. Basically saying, how likely is this virus to spread? And the idea is that if this is an efficient prediction tool, they can keep an eye on that market to actually see the likelihood that they should be looking out for that, Mm. if that makes sense. Now, what was the double-edged sword? Well, now, if, in theory, this market got really big and everybody was betting on no, then somebody who put a lot of money on, yes, this virus is going to spread, all of a sudden has an incentive to spread that virus and this is where it gets truly really complicated because there's no limiting anybody. Mm-hmm. So what happens if somebody creates a market for will? Per, I don't even want to say a real person, but let's just say would person blank be assassinated? Well, if that market gets big enough and a lot of people are taking the no side, does that create an incentive for assassination? Um, and if this is anonymous, does that create some open some really nasty doors? possibly possibly and this is why it's a double-edged sword now on the other side though it can also be used for very constructive ways it doesn't just have to be oh is this team gonna win the world cup is this politician gonna win but check it out there's an ICO called med credits and they are using the prediction market for self-accountability by opening a market on whether or not they are going to stick to the roadmap and release the main when they said they're going to release it.
1: Ah, that's genius. Right. I'd oh, be so happy right. if so many projects did that. Even though like we will talk about how projects that put out a roadmap and don't keep to it are bad, maybe putting out a roadmap isn't such a good idea. But it is there. I love the idea of locking up a bunch of funds in a smart contract to give you an incentive to go forward. Like we don't get, you can say, look, our roadmap says we're going to have this done by January. We are betting that we're going to have it done by March. And if we lose that bet,
0: we lose those tokens. That's great. Here's another. Imagine a politician who is running a campaign and opens a prediction market where they put in a ton of money that says, if I win, I'm actually going to pass this legislation. And then here is my bet so that you know that they've incentivized themselves. Like Maybe they put whatever. X amount of money saying that, yes, I will pass that legislation.
1: That's pretty, that is very uh, utopian. Insane. That can't, re- I mean, they would immediately just get in a lot of trouble for doing that as soon as somebody found out. But
0: Yeah, but look, maybe, maybe not. No, I'm saying if they openly were putting that as a, as a, if they were creating that market and saying, I will vote for this and you know that I will vote for this because I am betting on it and this is just. Uh, proof that I'm not going to change my opinion once I get elected. Look, I'm not saying that that should happen or that it can happen. All I'm saying is that when we are talking about no barriers to entry, because remember, with the centralized market, like, for example, predicted, which is ran by – I want to say that predicted is ran by a university. I I even want to say that they're not necessarily for profit. I want to say that they're like a research thing. But it doesn't matter. The markets go through them. They decide what markets to accept and what not to accept and what to create and what not to create. But when anybody can create anything, then the potential is really interesting. And I wouldn't have thought about an ICO using it to self-regulate their roadmap, which means that there's literally millions of things that we haven't thought about uh, for possible applications for uh, for this system, which is really cool and also maybe really scary. We do this a lot of times amongst our friends
1: when somebody says something that the other thinks might be really stupid. They say like, hey, all right, let's bet. Let's bet on it. And now we could just do that with this. We talked about putting up crypto basic bets on the website. We could put it on Augur. We could put it on Augur. Will Kareem continue to comb his beard every morning for the next two months? Yes or no?
0: Yes. (laughs) It is a great way, by the way, just since you're talking about our friends and everything. It is the ultimate way to test somebody about how serious they are because the financial incentive is so strong. If anybody says, oh, yeah, well, you know, I think, and then they make some ridiculous claim, the moment that you look at them and you're like, okay, I'll give you four to one on $100 that that doesn't happen, almost like through magic. It's like you're using a truth pill, right, where all of a sudden they have to reevaluate the words that just came out of their mouth, whereas like when there's no money involved and you're not really putting your money where your mouth is, people will say all kinds of ridiculous stuff. So definitely bringing up a real bet is one of my favorite ways to test how serious somebody is. Really, you believe that, I don't know, we're going to discover aliens made the pyramids in the next two years? I'm totally happy to make that bet. Like I'll give you 10 on (laughs) one.
1: For an example of this, you can check out our flagship Friday a couple of weeks ago where I tried to do this with Kareem and would have lost, but he backed down and didn't take the bet. What was the bet? Jang Zhan, the F coin oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah.
0: Did, did you try to bet me at the yeah, time? Yeah,
1: I, I tried to lay you. Oh, you oh, said bro. it was a 30% chance, so I offered to lay you four to one, and then you didn't take it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was so unsure of it, though. I really was. I just, you know me. That more or less wraps it up for the pros and cons. The last pro that I will give this project, we hinted at at the very beginning of the episode. I like that it's a working product. That is a real, true working product on the Ethereum platform that is creating a utility. Again, whether or not you personally are interested in prediction markets or this doesn't seem... In- I-, I totally understand that for an individual, it might not be. But prediction markets are a thing and this has now made them decentralized. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, this is a very cool uh, a very cool use case for Ethereum. I'm very happy to see it working. My negativity about how hard it is to use Clearly still exists based on what you found, but I am much happier about the fact that it works, is decentralized, and is a true DApp experience. We need more of these.
0: And that we've actually seen markets go from inception to pay. Yes.
1: It clearly works. I'm interested to see the first time it's tested with uh, more of a confusing result. All right. So where can you get it? Where can you get this REP token if you want to get some?
0: Binance, Bittrex, Upbit, Kraken, Poloniex. All right. Are there any competitors? Yes. The answer is yes. And not just centralized competitors like it, which we already mentioned, but there are actually a couple of blockchain projects trying to accomplish similar things. One of them is called Gnosis. There's another one. I would called, probably call that Genesis. Uh, oh, Genosis. Okay. I just said Genosis. Um, you just like the prequels so much. I guess so. The Star Wars uh,
1: Gnosis Ge- is where they went and got the clones in the Star Wars prequels. Oh. I think.
0: Yeah, that's why I pronounced it that way. It's not because it was G followed by Gnosis. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> there is uh, stocks. Uh, one of the things about stocks, though, is that you actually have to bet uh, with their native token. And I actually think, it's my personal opinion, but I actually think that... Augur will be better off not making it so that you have to bet everything in Augur. Like, it makes sense to me why reputation is its own token and the people that want to participate in the maintenance of the network, they're almost, I don't want to say miners, but they're like a proof of stake except it's proof of reporting, I guess. But that makes sense with the reputational. But if they had made it so that you have to use reputation in order to bet and then, oh, that's going to increase the value of our native token. Dude, screw that. Ethereum, Bitcoin, there's plenty of tokens that have universally accepted value. Mm -hmm. And I I really like the idea of just using those for value. You don't always have to create a new coin with every
1: little thing that you do. Mini rant, mini rant on especially these gambling tokens that pop up. I know we're going to talk about a couple more, but at No Limit Coin, the Virtue Poker, all this stuff that we've looked at, they all want to do everything in their native token, which is... Which is bullshit. That's that's as close that's close to a scam, just like Fcoin, where we're talking about how they're incentivizing you to give them Ethereum or give them Bitcoin, and they give you this token that you can go ahead and bet with and gamble with. Now I realize that's what Bitcoin was originally, like when we're talking about clubs of seals and stuff like that. But the end result is now that we have decentralized assets that have value, we don't need to reinvent the wheel and create a new one. I don't think like they.
0: Not for everything.
1: No. Absolutely. It's really cool that the REP token works and has a function. I can see, you're right. I can see why that would be an internal token to, to this particular project. That makes sense. The fact th- to be like, you have to convert everything to REP and then bet it does not make sense. So I'm glad they did it this way.
0: It also decouples uh, a lot of it from the trust in just the network, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that I have more confidence in the future value of Ethereum and Bitcoin than necessary REP. Yeah, you have to lock it up. Exactly. So maybe I want to be able to participate in the Augur network without making a bet, without betting on the future of Augur itself as a Mm -hmm. platform. And if you are a supporter of Augur, you should actually encourage that because me coming on and using your service is still good for you, Mm -hmm. right? You're incentivizing me to participate by letting me bet bitcoin and ethereum as opposed to having to oh okay i'll get paid a thousand auger a thousand rep in in a year and a half when this matures i wonder what the rep will be worse you know yeah there's also uh, a project called Bodhi, which is on the uh, quantum blockchain and uh, another one called mevu which is focused mostly on sports so uh, those are the big competitors to auger
1: that wraps up most of the episode let's get a little bit look into the crystal ball Let's get a little bit crazy here. What's your piece, personal future outlook on Augur? The answer is 42. Mm, okay. Yep, that's That's always the answer. So.
0: <laughs> now, listen, uh, I think I really like it. On, I like Augur more than I did when I started researching it. Um, I like the fact that it's truly decentralized. I like the fact that it seems tough to spot. Um, I am very curious about the corrective mechanisms that might develop in order to make sure that um, the perverse incentives aren't there to incentivize people to do things that they shouldn't do. Uh, You know, like we talked about with the spread of the virus or some kind of assassination market. Also, as far as specific, even though this doesn't mean that I'm going to go and invest in Augur, me personally, because I just have such a narrow view when it comes to some of these projects. But Without researching the other ones, just on the topic that we just discussed, being able to, stay, to bet Ethereum and having just launched, I do think that Augur is going to have a pretty decent first mover advantage over some of the other prediction markets that arise. Um, so overall, I think that we're going to continue to see the pattern of increased markets and increased activity on Augur. I think that the markets will be more and more liquid. I think that there are going to be relatively inefficient markets to start off with. So some people are probably going to make pretty good money. Um, And I'm also interested, like you are, to see what happens when we start getting some ambiguous results. What happens when we start? I want to see the company get tested. Just like... Some projects haven't been tested like Bitcoin's been tested because they haven't achieved scalability. They haven't really been tried to hack by everybody. It hasn't gotten to the point where it's profitable to try to mount a 51% attack, et cetera, et cetera. So some projects, you just want to see them get tested. And right here with Augur, I would say, honestly, everything looks pretty good, but I would like to see it get tested and see how it comes out of that.
1: Yeah, a random example I just thought about, what if there is an outcome to an election? And they report on that outcome, but then there's a few days later, like a recount is called, and the election ends up going the other way. Now, what do you do? That is,
0: in this case, remember there is what is it called when you the indeterminate? Dispute, there's a there and no in a dispute process. Oh, like, it's not like the moment that the reporting is over, everything's immediately paid out and you can't do anything. I do believe that they built into it some kind of dispute process. So if anything was so close, I think that. The network should be able to be like, well, hold on a second. This is going to have to go for further review. But, yes, I want to see that entire process play out. I, I want to see the system like go towards a review process, go through a second pro- layer of consensus, a distribution. You know, I want to see this push to the limit and-, and see if it actually works because decentralized also means that there ain't going to be anybody there to reverse the transactions, to make it all play out, to come up to with a fair decision. Mm-hmm. This is... This has to work on the code. Yeah, that could be very cool. I agree with all of your personal future outlook.
1: I want to add a little bit. I think we might be telling stories in 10, 15 years, like we tell about the MIT Blackjack team about Augur, where there's a group of people who found a way to exploit this algorithm and made a bunch of money doing so. And there's probably going to be an interesting story around who they are, what they did, and how they did it. And then they'll make a movie. You know, maybe it'll be us. It's not going to be us.
0: <laughs> I predict it won't be us. <laughs> All
1: right. Yep. I will not challenge your prediction. I will not make a bet.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought we were about to give, get another bet.
1: No, going. no way. All right. So that that wraps up this episode. Augur 101, the prediction market on the blockchain. Remember that you can listen to any of these 101s at any time. I said at the beginning of the episode, but don't forget Join us on Discord. That's where we talk about things. We always ask people if they want to know anything about different episodes, different things that we're going to be recording. Lots of awesome people stop by in the discords. We have had uh, we've had projects upper higher ups join us, ask us questions. We've even sent Mike Michael Locky into other discords in order to get to get tips from them. There's no outro. Somebody put an outro over this. You don't have the outro? Nope. I forgot to load it up. I had one job. Just
0: imagine that the music's loading up right now. And we could say the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. Or they are not prediction advisors. Please don't forget that investments have inherent risks. The future is indeterminate. Please do your own research. This has been for entertainment purposes only. And uh, yeah predicting the future's hard thank you
1: for listening to auger 101 we'll see you on friday for the flagship